0: I, I was really shocked by the, the lack of food in the supermarkets.
1: Hi, welcome to Norwegian Newcomers, the podcast where we hear fragments from the lives of Norway's immigrant population. My name is Vedran Atanović, and in today's episode we'll hear about how Norway looked like 17 years ago.
0: That was the time garlic was exotic in
1: Norway about proper Italian way of eating pizza and lasagna.
0: I'm used to Italians sitting long hours after dinner around the table. It's our way to socialize.
1: As well as how parents and their children are involved in participating in joint solidarity activities in kindergartens and schools, known as dugnad gatherings.
0: This is the spirit Scandinavian countries are known for.
1: This is Deborah's story. Deborah, welcome and thank you for joining us. But for the very beginning, I would like you please to introduce yourself, to tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: My name is Deborah. I am Italian. I don't know if I qualify as a newcomer since I came here 17 years ago. (laughs) I'm absolutely an immigrant with all the problems immigrants have in other countries. I have a PhD in uh, language didactics and I teach language didactics at the University of Oslo in the programme for uh, uh, preparing future teachers. I took my PhD here in Norway, so I've got uh, the possibility to develop my profession from being a teacher of language in schools to teaching to teachers. But I am I moved to Norway out of love, <laughs> for the person who is now my husband. And if not, I don't know if I have considered the moving to Norway.
1: But before coming to Norway, I would like to hear a bit more about your life in Italy.
0: I'm from Florence. Before I moved to Norway, I studied at the university. After finishing my studies, I worked as a private teacher and then I worked three, four years at uh, Georgetown University, which is placed in Florence and has a kind of program with the University of Florence. So these students come from USA and take courses at the local university, but are enrolled in Georgetown. So I worked with these American students lived my life with my friends and my family in Florence and traveled to Norway very often because I had and I still have a very good friend here, which is, by the way, the one who introduced me to my husband. (laughs) I really thought about research as a future career, but the possibilities in Italy are just few. And university system is difficult to get into because there's some, I'm sorry to say, it, a kind of corruption. So the professor helps the students which I like best and, and so on. So my uh, professor actually had uh, ambitions for me. But there were no positions uh, left to take PhD there. And in the meantime, I started working with this private American university. And this was like launching my career. I was all the time thinking that I was going to teach and maybe research in the field of languages. Norway was in my mind because of this friend. I had studied Norwegian, at least a bit of Norwegian. And because in my master's degree, I had worked with a comparison. Uh, I have a master in Spanish, a comparative study of Spanish and Scandinavian literature. So it was in my mind from before. I had studied some of the language. And since I had this possibility to living here, I had considered moving for a period, for example. So it was not completely out of my mind. So when I met my husband, I thought, why not? Maybe if I didn't have this background with Norway, I couldn't have considered it.
1: Yeah, that it comes on your way. Can you recall a bit those memories, those first impressions when you were just a tourist visiting your friend in Norway?
0: In the early 90s, that was my first time in Norway, visiting my friends and then followed it by many others. I felt it was very, very exotic, very, very cold, even if I came in summer. And what struck me was that they didn't have so much. Of course, my, my friend and her family were... Um, Economically safe and everything, but I didn't see so much in the shops, for example, uh, compared to today. And especially from, from my Italian point of view, food is important. I, I was really shocked by the, the lack of food in the supermarkets. That was the time garlic was exotic in Norway. So uh, a baguette with garlic on. Uh, A simple bruschetta, as we say it in Italian, was really exotic and the kind of food to take to every party (laughs) because everyone was shocked and the good flavor and everything. And it was so easy. (laughs) For example, I, I remember the first time I made a pizza for my friend and my friend's family. And the pizza was kind of margherita with tomato sauce and mozzarella and other form of cheese, because mozzarella still is, but was then very, very expensive. And they put ketchup on it. I was really shocked. I reacted, I said, no, please, you're going to spoil it. This is a complete meal. Don't put anything on it. I can say the same for lasagne. I made it from scratch and then they accompanied it in the same plate with a salad. <laughs> so every Italian, with respect for herself, would never dream about putting the salad beside the lasagna. Lasagna is the first course. The salad is vegetables going with the second course. <laughs> So there were, there were many uh, cultural shocks, but the food is always something we bring with us. Uh, another, you can say it's the small details, but another thing which I found so strange was that, okay, you eat the dinner and you eat early, okay, but we can survive that. But then after dinner, then you have to eat your dessert and drink coffee in the living room. You cannot eat your cake at the table. No, you move to the living room. So I thought, why that? And then you sit with these uncomfortable coffee tables to eat the cake. Why that? Yeah, but I understood that was that was a thing. While I'm used to Italians sitting long hours. After dinner, around the table, it's our way to socialize. You sit and maybe you take some more bites and then something else uh, comes. And then after two hours, you say, OK, maybe we take some more and uh, offer cheese or something. You sit around the table because it's the heart of the house. So for me, it was like formal and useless to move from the table to the living room. I don't know. You can say their are details, but yes, we, we are not so different in so many ways. So you pick up on the differences.
1: But then, so in the 90s, you were a tourist uh, visiting your friend. What happened? How you were hooked <laughs> with the Norway on a long run?
0: My friend got the first child and I was single and I was coming here for holidays to meet the baby and be with my friend's family. She was uh, together with the one who's now her husband. So I was here and my friend decided without telling me that time had come for me to meet a proper Norwegian man. Now I was in my thirties. She had invited another couple and the guy was a colleague of my husband. The girl was a close friend of my friend, which I knew from before. My friend's friend thought, yeah, we have to let Deborah meet someone who can be a good match, a good guy, and asked her boyfriend, can't you bring your colleague? He is so nice and everything. So, but I didn't know anything. So I was the one who was going to cook, of course, that day, and Surprisingly, that day was very hot in Oslo. In August it was uh, 30, 32 degrees. So I was sweat and full of uh, the smell from the meal I had cooked and everything. So a quarter before the guests should come, my friends suddenly said, go and prepare yourself. prepared to what? It's sweat and hot. And uh, am I not good enough? No, you have to put some more makeup. And and then I started to understand there's something here. I've been set up. So I asked and uh, yeah, we have invited the guy, you know, so get yourself a nice uh, dress and everything. So I changed just not to disappoint my friend, but I, I was really not uh, interested in finding a boyfriend a boy. here. And then he came in. I had the first look at him and I thought, this is the guy I can love. Uh, this is really the guy for me. And, and he wow, he's... On the first
1: time. Yeah, really,
0: I never, never believed that in my life, but I... L- really really liked him i got this feeling from the first moment and then we spent the night walking uh, uh, talking and um, and i i, I thought ah, i really like him it seems like a really interesting you
1: your, your, uh, your food?
0: yeah the food was very good <laughs> Otherwise, uh... i think i think in this case the the way to his heart is passing through the stomach so I, uh, I think it was, uh, he, he really liked the food. And, uh, and then the following days we met again and again and again and again. And uh, we reached to the conclusion that we will really liked each other. We wanted to try to make it work.
1: Did you have a phase of long-distance relationship?
0: Yes, for a year Because then I went back to Italy. He had already planned a long trip, more than a month, with his friend to South America. They were going to visit many countries and everything. And I really didn't believe it could last. But I was in love and I was going to try. But then he called me and wrote messages and not letters, but, uh, you know, the phones were already okay at the time. So he could, from some countries, he could send me SMS. Uh, When he found the phone, he could call me, send emails. We kept the contact uh, the whole trip. And then he came back to Norway and said that he wanted to visit me. And I was living with my mom, so I said, okay, but uh, this means you will meet my mom. Yeah, but why not? And then it started to be serious.
1: Did you have any dilemmas? How you felt in that time?
0: It was not easy. It was not easy at all. It was a difficult decision, but I was very in love and there was no other option because my husband's work is here. Mm. He he cannot move to another country. So the one who could move, both because I had studied some Norwegian and because I had studied languages, I could sell myself as a teacher other places. It was easier for me than for him to move. He had just got a very good job. He had an apartment. So it was easier for me not having a stable working position. And I studied languages for a reason. I really mean it. I mean, studying languages and other countries, the cultures and everything, then maybe you're more oriented to understanding other cultures or you have the curiosity for other cultures. So maybe I was more oriented in that direction than he was. So why not, I thought. Maybe I could use the skills I have. But we were just boyfriend and girlfriend. I couldn't let him support me economically. I wanted to be independent. So I saved all the money I could. And then I thought I really have to find a job, whatever job. But my friends, again, they helped me and they found out that there was a school, one and a half hour from Oslo, a secondary school, needed a Spanish teacher. So I applied for the job. I had an interview on the phone from Italy. I think they were desperate because they took me, an Italian who could hardly speak more than three sentences, but I got the job. It was not a full-time job. It was like 30%. But in the meantime, I applied and I sent emails to almost every school in the Oslo Barum uh, Asker area. And two months later, I got position in Oslo, substituting a teacher who was in, on maternity leave, 80%. So I changed job and uh, then I, I didn't have to commute every day, one and a half hour away from Oslo. I just kept the work in Oslo. The year after, I found out that I couldn't get a permanent position as a teacher if I didn't have this, which is called PPU. So the training to be a teacher. You can have the skills in the subject, a master, as in my case, in the subject, but you have to train as a teacher. It's one year study or two years if you take it part-time. So I took it part-time while I was working. In two years' time, I got a permanent position. I was really lucky. I always think that I was at the right place in the right
1: moment. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to Norwegian Newcomers and remind you that if you want to further support our podcast, we have a Patreon. There you will get every episode one week before everyone else and we will be able to continue with this project that we really love. You can find us at patreon.com slash Norwegian Newcomers, or you can press the link in the episode description. Thank you very much. It really would mean a lot.
0: I noticed, and this is a very nice thing in society, like today I'm giving money to a cause, like the local football team is collecting bottles to do this uh, pent and get the money from the supermarket. And I'll give you this uh, notice. Uh, Next week, please save uh, the bottles for us. Okay. So I save the bottles because I'm going to give them and they are going to make money out of it. It costs nothing for me. I give it to the Red Cross generally. So, uh, okay. But I know, I trust the system because one day it will be my daughter's collecting the same bottles from the neighborhood. So I know our time will come when we need to do the same. <laughs> so I support every action because I know we will do the same once. Yeah. And
1: that's exactly what I think. It's part of really good things in a region society, that kind of solidarity. And also, what do you think? Because you have uh, two beautiful daughters and they are going to school and kindergarten, they are just raising uh, in Norway the way how they treat and learn kids to be aware about the environment.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, Yes, they learn it from the age of two, I guess. In the kindergarten, every I don't I don't remember if it's in in the fall or in the spring. They have this akshun rusk. It's basically kids collecting and uh, tidying up in the garden of the kindergarten, collecting leaves, for example, or cleaning, getting all together, and then they get a prize for that like yeah. some pencils or uh, so small things but they learn they learn from a very very young age both the importance of the environment and the importance of being together in doing things this is the spirit of uh, I, d- I don't know how to translate it in english dugnad dugnad yes the dugnad spirit which basically means we do it all together Like as we don't need to pay someone for doing it and then we all save money and we all save time. We have it in the kindergarten, for example. The parents are going there and cleaning the garden, cutting the trees, um, painting the walls or doing things twice a year. Like we achieve that we don't have to pay for that. But of course, our time is also precious, of course. So we give time instead of money. But every one of us have some time to give. Not everyone has money. So I like the principle very much. Even if it's annoying when you only have one fine Sunday, maybe, and you spend it working in the kindergarten instead of going out. This is the spirit uh, Scandinavian countries are known for. For instance, if you lose your job, you will be financed by the state, at least for a period. That system exists in other countries too, but maybe the amount of money is not comparing. uh, Or it's not sustainable,
1: yeah. In our countries, you will receive some help, but you still can't live.
0: It's so little. You you really cannot live with that. And and if you are in the position, some things like the kindergarten, for instance, which is very expensive, some things have a reduced price if you come from a family without money or with a very low in, mm, low low, low income. F- income. So so in a way, it is fair. Uh, and it is fair that uh, when you have too good income, as it is our case, we, we give something back. Because the consequence is that other people with lower income can have the same good service.
1: Yeah, that's that social country or the social system where it's more fair to mm-hmm. everyone. And the truth is, the, the taxes here are quite uh, nice. high. But uh, then you know that it goes to the society you live in. It goes yes, in that and it will come to you. You are safe too.
0: Yes, and then you never know what happens in life. And you see it everywhere. It's also based on trust. Because I wouldn't trust the system in Italy, for example. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you hear. I know
1: what you're about. Yes, <laughs> yes.
0: I know you know. Uh, so the system is so corrupt. That you never trust politicians, you never trust, uh, if you have to pay more, you never know where your money will go, you never trust that there won't be a politician who is uh, taking your money. While here I feel that the system is quite transparent and honest, at least. Yeah, you hear something now and then, but... yeah, in the in its whole, I think uh, there is a lot of trust. You see it when you pay taxes. If you pay uh, too much, you get them, you back, them back in a, a couple of months. months. In Italy, you can wait a, a year.
1: Yeah. But uh, tell me uh, briefly, are you satisfied with the social life in Oslo?
0: If you mean if I have been able to make friends?
1: Yeah. Mm. That-
0: yes and no. It is not difficult to get to know people. Uh, because when you are in a working environment, you have nice conversations you are at the dinners or lunch with your colleagues and everything, but very few of them have become friends and I was I uh, was maybe expecting more uh, like uh, we feel that we have some much in common we We always sit together at lunch we uh, ask each other about uh, families but it often stops there. It's difficult to understand. I remember at the beginning, it was very difficult to understand if the person was a good colleague or it was becoming a friend. I remember many conversations with my husband about that, where he advised me, Deborah, it doesn't mean you're friends. You're very good colleagues. You can have a beer together uh, sometimes, but it doesn't mean you are in each other's life. So during the years, I still have the good friends I have at the beginning, Norwegian ones. I had many good colleagues. There's no problem to organize something uh, one one night going out or something, but very few of them I can consider as friends. When I say very few, I mean three, four, five in 17 years, while I've get to know many, foreigners in oslo (laughs) and absurd enough i found out that i have much in common with many kind of foreigners spanish uh, greek other italians i have established very good relationships with them it has been easier but i think i guess it is also because The Norwegians you meet when you are 30, 35, 40, 45, they have an established group of friends. If I was in my country, how easy would it be in the 40s to find a new friend? Yes, you find a colleague, yes, you become friends, but your colleague will have her family, uh, her people, established friends from before. Maybe these are not the years to become friends with so many people. That's one element. The other one is they have their families and we don't. So they don't have time to invest in the friendship with you, maybe, because they have cousins and uncles and parents and sisters and brothers with their own family. So they socialize a lot with a lot of people, as all of us, and they don't have time to new people in their life. So I don't, I don't uh, blame them. I guess it would be the same for me if I was in Italy, maybe. And maybe a part of it is that as an Italian, I feel that I am more a sociable person than Norwegians are. I'm easier to come in contact with than Norwegians
1: are. We can say it's a part of mentality or the place we are born and raised. And, and of course, I would never like anyone listening to us to get the conclusion that we are generalizing or that we are... I really hope that this uh, talks between us and telling us openly how we feel about some things in, in Norwegian society that will help just to understand us better.
0: And it's giving and taking, you no know? If you want to integrate, you have to assimilate something of the customs there you cannot I I know many Italians living in Norway as they would live in Italy uh, because they feel that they are losing something of themselves if they adapt that's not a problem for me I'm more than happy to eat uh, dinner at 5 p.m. (laughs) (laughs) it's not a it's not a problem but sometimes for many foreigners it becomes like a principle this country will not change me but the reality is you have to change you cannot expect just to be welcomed as you are as in every relationship you have to Change a bit, compromise. compromise um, yes, after seventeen years, I don't feel as a guest. I feel like I'm part of the society. I'm giving something to this society, but still think something are um, important for me to keep. Like uh, you don't eat pizza with ketchup. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> not Please, not. Don't do it. Please, don't do it. And you don't eat spaghetti with ketchup. That's a no. That's a no. No, no, please. Please, or at least don't show it to me.
1: <laughs> but Deborah, before I'm saying thank you, I want to know where uh, we are going uh, in May next year in a Eurovision contest. Is it in Rome? Would it be in Rome? That-
0: no, it will be in Torino.
1: Ah, in Torino, so...
0: Yes, uh, Torino won the competition inside Italy. That means they chose Torino uh, for uh, organizing the Eurovision. I would really like to participate. I would really like to go there, but I don't know. <laughs> Did you like uh, the song, Moneskin? Uh, it
1: was on my list, was on the fourth place.
0: Because I heard it in February and I was yeah. sure it would win. It had, had something... Had but they are very young. I don't know if they will make good music in the future. It's too early
1: yeah it's the but they are they are quite popular in Italy, yeah especially now after they
0: are, they are very popular in the world now i I follow yeah. them on Facebook, I see they are holding concerts all over the world, at least Europe and USA they're coming to Oslo I don't I don't remember when, but they are coming in a kind of festival. I think it's 2022. Okay,
1: so you gave us good information. So new uh, Eurovision contents in Italy, of course, as a winner of the last one will be in Torino. I didn't know. At
0: least it's what I read on the newspaper. It will be Torino. It's a nice city, worth a visit. One of the biggest uh, Egyptian museum in the world. So worth a visit.
1: But Debora, I want to thank you really for your time. It was
0: a pleasure. It was a pleasure.
1: This episode was made possible with support from Berges and Steve Telsen, Egbos Legat and our members on Patreon. If you would like to support our podcast, search for Norwegian newcomers on Patreon, Facebook or Instagram. We are back next Tuesday. Thank you for listening and take care.